You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. to you, O Lord, for you are God who is merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You are good and upright, and we come before you this morning troubled by the cares of this world, troubled by the temptations of our great enemy, Satan, troubled by our struggle with sin, and I pray Oh God, that you speak to us through the preaching of your word, that you may give us hope in the character of God as we wrestle with our troubles. Meet with us this morning, we plead in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's a joy that we can gather together this morning and worship our wonderful God. This morning we are transitioning out of our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, and we are transitioning into our summer sermon series in the Psalms. And this morning we will be in Psalm 25. So you can take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 25. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Our strike team will come down and they will hand one out to you. Psalm 25 is on page 261 in the Bibles that are being handed out. Now, as you're turning to Psalm 25, it's important to note that the Psalms have more of a flow to them than we generally tend to give them credit for. There are 150 Psalms, and they are broken into five books. And Old Palmer Robertson helpfully describes each book of the Psalms, and so I just want to look at that real quickly. Book 1, Psalms 1 through 41, can be characterized by confrontation. Book 2, Psalms 42 through 72, by communication. Book 3, Psalms 73 through 89, by devastation. Book 4, Psalms 90 through 106, by maturation. And book 5, Psalms 107 to the end, 150, by consummation. And if you look at this flow, it follows the flow of the redemptive history of God's people in the Old Testament. Now, with this big picture view in mind, this summer we're going to be focusing on book one, which is characterized by confrontation. And you can think of this confrontation like this. God Almighty reigns and rules as king over his creation. But because of sin death and Satan, there is a confrontation or a conflict or a hostility between light and darkness, between good and evil, between holiness and sin, between God and Satan. And this hostility wreaks havoc on the whole world, but it's especially troublesome for God's people. And so in the midst of this confrontation, God has promised to save his people and to be with them. And one of the ways that God does this in the Old Testament is through the king. 
The king in the Old Testament was to rule on behalf of God. They were to have a kingdom of peace and righteousness, and they were to protect God's people from their enemies. Now, that's just a brief description of the confrontation that's going on in book one of the Psalms. This morning, we will be focusing on Psalm 25, and you will notice how this hostility plays itself out in this psalm. We know that David wrote this psalm because it tells us. What we don't know is exactly when he wrote it or exactly why he wrote it. We do know, however, that Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, would have prayed this song or prayed this psalm or sang this as a psalm together when they were gathered for corporate worship. Verse 22 makes this point. You can look at it. Where David prays for God to redeem. Now, in this context, redeem means rescue or protect. David prays for God to rescue Israel out of all of his troubles. And one of the things that this does at the end of the psalm is it transforms this from an individual song or prayer into a community prayer or psalm. And so we can picture the whole nation of Israel gathered together, kind of like we're gathered together now, singing this psalm together. You can picture them singing this as they are troubled by enemies outside of them, and you can picture them singing this as they are troubled inside with their own sin. So keep this in mind as we look at our passage this morning, Psalm 25. Of David. Now, as a side note, the of David is actually in the original text, so we got to treat it as such. Of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. For it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. 
Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Amen. This is the holy word of God that cannot and does not fail. The Little Pilgrim's Progress is a children's book based on John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. Has anybody read it or seen it before, The Little Pilgrim's Progress? Got a few hands. If you have kids, I would highly recommend it. But the first part of the book follows Christian, who is a little rabbit, as he makes his pilgrimage to the king of kings who lives in this beautiful, amazing celestial city. And after a long and grueling pilgrimage, he's standing with his friend, Hopeful, and two of the king's messengers come to them and they say, it is your turn, it's your time to go to the celestial city. And so as they're standing there, they are told that they need to cross this dark, gloomy river to get to the celestial city. So I just want you to picture them standing there, looking up at the beauty of the city, and then looking down and seeing this dark, scary river that they have to cross. Hopeful is excited as he keeps his focus on the city, but Christian is deathly afraid of the dark and scary river. It's too deep. What if I drowned? I'm scared. There's no way that I'm going to make it to the other side. He's so afraid that after his long and treacherous pilgrimage that he doesn't even want to go to the city anymore. But Hopeful encouraged him, so he went to the river. And as they began to step in the river, Christian lost his footing, and he cried out, I'm sinking. The water is going all over me. I can't do this. Maybe I'm not meant for the celestial city. Have you ever felt this way when the troubles of the Christian journey come your way? Have you ever felt that in the midst of your troubles, you're not meant to be with God? You see, we have a great enemy, Satan, who is trying to tempt us by twisting the word of God. He tries to tempt us by getting us to doubt the goodness of God. He tries to tempt us into sinning. And so then sometimes we give into sin, whether it's lust or jealousy or gossip or whatever it is. And then after we sin, Satan comes behind and he tries to tempt us to despair. He tells you things like, you're not good enough for God. We are surrounded by troubles in our Christian life, whether it's our great enemy without or our sin within. And so in the midst of these troubles, have you ever felt like Christian? Have you ever felt overwhelmed by these troubles? What do we do when we are shoulder deep in the troubles of our Christian life? We can hope in the character of God. We can hope in the character of God. Now, our passage this morning gives us two ways that we can hope in the character of God. First, hope in the character of God by asking him to save you. Second, hope in the character of God by asking him to help you follow his ways. 
So hope in the character of God by asking him to save you and by asking him to help you follow his ways. These are two themes that David keeps coming back to in this psalm. Now, this psalm doesn't have a clear structure, so I'm just going to work through it section by section. And in each section, I want you to notice these two themes that David keeps coming back to. And also note that this is 22 verses, and so there's no way that we're going to cover every single detail of this psalm. Although, side note, I would love to do that. We could stay here for three hours and just go after it. But we won't do that this morning. David begins in verse 1 by lifting up his soul to the Lord. He's waiting in the deep troubles of his soul. And what does he do first? He fixes his eyes on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. And he reminds himself that God alone is trustworthy, and so he puts his trust in him. And after this reminder, David gives his first petition to the Lord in verse 2. He says, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. In other words, he recognizes that he has enemies that are trying to humiliate him, and so he cries out to the Lord to save him. Now, this is a, an amazing picture, especially if you think about all of God's people gathered together singing this psalm when they have people right outside their city gates trying to destroy them. Can you picture them saying, God, save us. God, let us not be put to shame. We know, verse 3, that none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Now, the word for wait here carries the idea of hope. And in fact, if I was translating this, I would translate this hope. And I'm, I'm sure some of your translations actually use the word hope instead of wait. Hope is one of those words that needs an object. And what I mean by that is you have to hope in something. You can't just hope in hope. You have to hope in something. And if your hope is in something other than God, you're actually hopeless. And so we hope in God himself. And in this context, they are hoping with patient anticipation that in God's perfect timing, he will deliver those who cry out to him. Because nobody who hopes in the Lord will be put to shame. But those who are wantonly treacherous, language that we use every day, I'm sure, that just means that they are evil without reason. They have no reason, they're unprovoked, but they're just evil. Those who are on wantonly, wantonly treacherous will be put to shame. And so God's people together are hoping in the character of God by asking him to save them from their enemies. Now, we don't always realize that we have enemies or that we are in a war because we don't have enemies surrounding Fargo-Moorhead right now trying to bust down the city gates and trying to destroy the city. We don't have that, so it's hard for us to remember that we are in a war. We do have an enemy. We are in a spiritual battle with our enemy, Satan. And Satan is trying to tempt us to believe that he doesn't exist. Satan doesn't want us to believe that he's around. He's tempting us to believe that we have no hope in the midst of our troubles. He's tempting us to sin. 
But at the heart of Satan's greatest temptation is he gets us to doubt the character of God. That's the heart of what Satan wants to do. But we can lift up our souls and we can trust God because we know, as we read in Colossians 2, as Nancy read for us, that Jesus Christ was put to shame on the cross to defeat his enemies. We can hope in the character of God by asking him to deliver us from the temptations of the evil one. Because he won. God has won. Now, after asking for God to save him from his enemies, David asks for the Lord to help him follow him in verses 4 through 5. So our next section says, Make me to know your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me. Now, the ways, the paths, and the truth here refer to the way to live rightly before God by following his commandments. Or to think about this in a slightly different way, there are many ways that lead to death, but there is only one way that leads to life. Going back to the little pilgrim's progress, earlier in the story we saw, or we, in the story, you can read about a little squirrel that instead of walking through the water, he finds a boat and someone gives him a ride to the other side to get to the celestial city. But when he got there, his hands and his feet were bound and he was thrown and kicked out of the celestial city and into the country of the wicked prince. His path led to death because he did not follow the way of the Lord. There is only one path to life. And that is in the story through the dark river. But in our lives, that is through Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. And it is only through him that we can find the path to God, which is the path to life. And what we can learn from this psalm is that we can ask God to teach us to know this way, this truth, and this life. We can ask God to help us to follow Jesus. Now, David doesn't believe that just because he's following the way of the Lord that all of his troubles and anxieties are going to immediately disappear. This is why he says in verse 5 that he waits for God all the day long. His troubles may last a lifetime, but the character of God lasts forever. And therefore, he waits, or again, he hopes in the character of God in the midst of his, of his troubles. And as he waits, he prays diligently for God to help him to follow the ways of the Lord. And while we wait for God to deliver us from our troubles, whether it's in this life or the next, we are called to follow his path. We are to follow Jesus Christ while we wait for deliverance. And we can do this with confidence because we can hope in the character of God. Hope in the character of God. Now in the next section, verses 6 through 7, David continues by asking God to save him again. And in verse 7, we're introduced to a different trouble in David's life, his past sins. He says, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Now you can think of sin in the context of this psalm as the opposite of following the way of the Lord. So if you're not following the way of the Lord, that is sin. 
Now, the psalm doesn't tell us any specifics of David's sin or why he was calling out to the Lord to remember his sin no more now. It's very generic. It's like, look back on all of my past sins and my transgressions and please forgive them, God. The idea of remember not here carries the idea of forgetting or more specifically, forgiving. So David is saying, God, please forgive all of my past sins and transgressions. Why can he pray this? On what basis can David ask this? It's not because of anything that he's done. It's not because he has walked perfectly in the way of God, but it is because of who God is. So David pleads with God, remember your character. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Now God's mercy is him not giving what sinners deserve for their sin. So God's mercy is him not giving what sinners deserve for their sin. And his steadfast love is his special covenantal affection that he has for his people that is expressed in saving them and being with them. And we learn in elsewhere in the scripture, specifically <clears throat> Exodus 34, which Mitch used as part of his prayer this morning, that God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and mercy. I think thinking of a, a toddler will help us understand the abounding nature of God's character here. If you've ever played with a toddler, and let's just say you're playing with them and you're throwing them up in the air, and you do this four or five times in a row, and then if you're like me, I have to take a break because I get tired, and you set the toddler down, what are they going to say? More, again, again. And so then you do it again four or five times, and then you get tired and you have to stop, and they're like, again, and again. And they could go again and 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 again because of their boundless energy. In a similar way, God is boundless in his steadfast love and mercy. And he pours out his steadfast love on his people again and again and again and again and again. And because of the abounding nature of God's character, David is crying out to the Lord. And he's saying, God, because of who you are, Please forgive all of my past sins. According to your steadfast love, remember me, but not my sins. Do this for the sake of your goodness, O oh Lord. Do this for the sake of your character. Now it is because of the character of God that we can look back on the other side of the cross and we can ask God to forgive us of all of our past sins. Because to quote Shailen, all of God's attributes meet at the cross. So at the cross, we see all of the character of God revealed to us. And it is according to the character of God that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. This is the again and again and again nature of the steadfast love of God. And for everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, God looks at your sin and he forgives you again and again and again and again and again. Do you believe that? 
If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has forgiven all of your past sin. Is there a past sin that's been troubling you because of the weight of it? Beloved, if you are in Christ, it has been forgiven. Because of the character of God revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, all of your past sin has been forgiven. And what we learn from this psalm is that all we have to do is ask. We can ask God that through Christ that he would forgive all of our past sin. And we can ask with confidence because our hope is in the goodness, the mercy, and the steadfast love of God. Our hope is in the character of God. Amen? Now, after God forgives his people, he will instruct them in the way of the Lord. And if you are truly forgiven and truly believe in Jesus Christ, then you will follow the way of the Lord. This is what our next section teaches us, verses 8 through 10. Verse 8, <clears throat> good and upright is the Lord. The Lord is good. His goodness is his very nature, and he is good in all that he does. But he is not only good, the text says that he is upright, which means that he is righteous. His goodness and his righteousness go hand in hand. In all that he does and all that he is, God is good and he is righteous. And not only is he good and righteous, he is the final standard by which all goodness and righteousness should be measured. Because of his goodness, we who were once sinners are now instructed in the way of the Lord. Those who were once proud are now the humble who follow the ways of the Lord. In other words, if you are truly one of God's people, you will follow him because God instructs his sinners in the way. Do you want to know if you are one of God's people? You can ask this question. Are you following the ways of God? Now, I'm not talking about perfectionism. I'm not talking about legalism. What I'm talking about is are you more obedient than you were a year ago? Are you more obedient than you were five years ago, ten years ago? Your obedience is proof that you are a child of God because God will instruct his people in the way that they should go. And for all of us who are following the way of the Lord, our path is one that is filled with the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. And this doesn't mean that all of our troubles are going to just immediately disappear or be erased because we're still going to struggle with temptations from the evil one. We're still going to struggle with sin, but because of the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord, he is with us when we are tempted by the evil one. He is with us when we struggle with sin, and he can protect us from Satan. He can forgive us from our sin. We don't have to fight on our own anymore, but we do know that in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart because Jesus Christ has overcome the world, and our hope is built on nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand. So let us hope in the character of God. Now in verse 11, David again asks God to save him. This time by asking God to pardon his guilt. He confidently goes before God and asks him, God, pardon my guilt. And he roots his confidence and his hope and his pardon in the character of God. He says in verse 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Now in the Old Testament, a name means more than how we use names now. A name in the Old Testament reflects the character of someone. In this case, the Lord's name reflects his character, and we learn about his character all throughout Scripture, but we've, what we've already learned in this psalm alone is that God is merciful. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and he is good, and he is upright. And David is boldly approaching God, and he's saying, based on your character, according to your character, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And David's and our hope for the pardon and forgiveness of our guilt is only in the character of God. And we can plead with God, God, according to your character, please pardon our guilt. What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? I know that you have it. And I know some of you are carrying it around like a heavy piece of luggage. What do you do with it? There's only one thing that you can do with your guilt, and that is plead with the Lord that for the sake of his character, that he would forgive your guilt. You can cry out to him and say, for the sake of your name, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. You can say, wash me, Savior, or I die. And we know through the word of God that because of Jesus, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that through Jesus, our guilt is taken away and our sin is atoned for. Amen? Now, after asking for God to save him by forgiving his guilt, David continues by describing the blessing that comes from fearing the Lord. He asks this question in verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? And then in verses 12 through 15, he describes this person. The person who fears the Lord will be instructed by God in the way they should choose. Their soul will abide in well-being. Their children will inherit the land. They will intimately share in the secret things of God. They will know the amazing nature of God's covenant, and they will be saved by God from all of their enemies. For the one who fears God, it will go well with them. Now again, this doesn't mean that they won't have enemies or that they won't struggle with sin, but it does mean that their innermost being will be at peace in the midst of those troubles. And if this is the case, then we need to know what it means to fear the Lord. To fear God 
is to stand in awe of him and to give him the respect and honor that he deserves. It is to stand in awe of him and give him the respect and honor that he deserves. Thinking about a lion might help us here. If you think about a lion, they are a powerful and often fierce beast. And just a lion in itself is a thing to stand in awe of because of its power and its speed and its agility. And if you were standing next to a lion, you would be right to be afraid. But now let's imagine that this lion loved you and cared for you. You would still stand in awe of it because of what it is and what it could do. But if it loved you, it would protect you from other predators. And so if we are next to the lion that loves us, we are at the same time afraid of it and secure by it. This is what it is like to fear God. When we fear God, we stand in awe of him, we give him the respect and the honor that he deserves, and we are protected from our enemies. God is more fearful than our enemies. This is why David says in verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. He fears God more than his troubles, so he fixes his eyes on the Lord in the midst of his troubles. Now going back to our friends from the Little Pilgrim's Progress, as little Christian and hopeful were crossing that dark, dreadful river, hopeful reminded Christian that God's messengers told them that if they just kept their eyes fixed on the celestial city, the Lord would help them make it through the dark and terrible waters. And with this reminder, Christian opened his eyes, and as the light from the city fell on his face, he cried out, Oh, I can see it all now. It shines like the sun, and I heard the voice of the good prince. He said, I will be with you in the waters. As they fixed their eyes on the light, they were able to make it across the troubling waters. And the only way that we can make it through the troubles in this life is by fixing our eyes on the Lord. Let us focus not on our troubles, but on Jesus who is with us in the water. Let us fix our eyes on Christ by hoping in his character. Let us focus on the lion instead of our distress. Because, beloved, the lion is with us and he is on our side. Amen? Now David continues in the next section, verses 16 through 18, by again asking for the Lord to save him by forgiving him from his sins. Now, we don't know exactly which sin David is referring to. We do know that David sinned in some pretty miraculous ways in his life, and his sin has made him lonely, afflicted, and needy, and it has brought massive trouble into his heart. Now, this is an idea that we don't talk about maybe as much as we should, but our sin has real-life consequences. Pornography will destroy your marriage. Bitterness will push people away from you. Jealousy will make it so that you will not be able to ever share in the joy of others. Your sin has real-life consequences. 
what consequences does your sin have? What do we do? Well, we can follow the example of David and we can cry out to the Lord where he says, Oh, Lord, turn to me and be gracious to me. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. And we can cry out to God with confidence because as we've looked at before, we can hope in the character of God as revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Because beloved believer, all of your sin has been placed on Jesus. All of your lust and your anger and your jealousy and your bitterness, all of your sin and all of the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin has been placed on Jesus in your behalf so that through him we can be forgiven. So I pray that you take this truth and boldly approach the throne of Christ in your time of need and ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to help you to turn away from sin. We can hope in the character of God that God will be faithful to answer that prayer. Now David continues and he concludes in verses 19 through 22. Now this last section is very similar to the first section that we look at and this gives us the book ends to the psalm where David says, let me not be put to shame. That's the refrain we see at the beginning and the end. He says, protect me from my enemies. He has many enemies that violently hate him. And we can assume that these enemies are trying to kill him. And so he cries out to God, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame because I take refuge in you, Lord. Now, as we've looked at before, we can pray this prayer with confidence because Jesus Christ was put to shame on our behalf on the cross. And when he did that, he put to shame the devil and all of his army. And as we know, Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave and he conquered sin, death, and Satan. And therefore, we too, through Christ, can cry out with David and we can say, guard my soul and deliver me, God. Let me not be put to shame because I take refuge in you, Lord. We can hide ourselves in God through Jesus Christ. And when we are in Christ, we have protection and we have a refuge that will never, ever fail. You can think about it like if you've ever been in a huge thunderstorm in the night, but you've been safe in your home. I'm talking about a storm with lightning that awakens the night sky, a, thorm, a storm with thunder so loud that it shakes your house, with hail so big that it damages the siding. But because you are in the house, you are safe. Yes, it is scary, but you are safe in the house. And beloved, it is the same with Christ, except the storm is the assaults of Satan, it is the sin that wreaks havoc on your relationships and on your soul. And in the midst of these storms, we can run to the Lord and find a refuge that will never fail. Jesus Christ is the house that will not be shaken. He is a strong tower that will not be broken. 
He is a refuge that will never, ever change. And we can be safe when we are in Christ because we have an unshakable, unbreakable, unchangeable hope in the character of God. Beloved, the lion is on our side. And because he is, we are safe. We can hope in the character of God. And when we hope in the character of God, we will follow in his ways. And when we are following in his ways, our uprightness and our integrity will be proof that God is with us in this journey. So my friends, when Satan tempts you to doubt the goodness of God, when he tempts you to despair, when your sin blinds you from the mercy of God, I encourage you and I challenge you to hope in the character of God by asking him to save you and by asking him to help you follow his ways. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we praise you for your character, that you are a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You are merciful, you are good, and you are upright. And we have a hope in your character that will not be put to shame because you will never be put to shame. I pray that you give us all a deep and abiding hope in your character as we walk through the troubles of our Christian life. God, that when we are tempted by the evil one, that you would protect us and help us to cry out to you. That when we are struggling with sin, I pray that we come to you in repentance and that you forgive our sins. We know, God, that because of your character as expressed and revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that you will be faithful to answer those prayers. Help us to be faithful to hope in you. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.